Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Gospel Addict Podcast. We are delighted today to have Jesse Cruikshank, who just wrote a book called Ordinary Discipleship. And this is a, a topic that Jim and I are both passionate about. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And we hear the word discipleship tossed around all the time in the Christian faith. But I think Jesse has some really fascinating things to share with us on this podcast. So we're we're great to have you. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having Good. me. You know, I think a, a, an appropriate place to start would be just tell our audience who, uh, who you are. Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Yeah, so parts of that story are interesting and parts of the story are boring. The boring part is that I gave my life to the Lord when I was three years old and I was raised in church and I don't have like BC days. I just, you know, I've got no excuse for my bad behavior. I was a Christian all along. So just redemption, the faithfulness of God. Um, but I've known I wanted to be a minister since I was five. Most people would go to kindergarten and they would be like, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, I want to be a fireman or a doctor. And I'm like, I want to be a missionary to Indonesia. Because um, I'm just different, made differently, I guess. But um, went... Uh, yeah, raised in church. Um, but somehow that passion, you know, that passion kind of waned due to some church hurt um, in my teenage years and um, actually got kicked out of our church because I was a female who felt called to ministry. So by the time I go to college, I'm studying botany, which is plants. I'm studying physiology and, and, and secondary science education. So I'm going to be a high school teacher. And um and instead of applying for a job, the Lord said, called me back into full-time ministry, called me into full-time ministry. He said, you know, I didn't change my mind about that. So I started and helped build a wilderness um, guiding program that takes uh, adults into the backcountry of Wyoming and different parts of the West for 40 days, 40 nights, and uses it as a deep immersion discipleship place experience. So it's kind of like YWAM only stateside. Um, and like I said, 40 days, 40 nights with technical rock climbing, technical snow mountaineering, uh, 150 miles backpacking. And there we taught people how to be disciple makers. And um, I've taught maybe about in when I left the ministry, the Lord moved me on uh, in 2013. I, by that time, I trained about 4000 people to be disciple makers in groups of eight to 15. Wow. So. Are you telling me that you would backpack 150 miles in 40 day period? Well, no, that was only um, 25 days. We still had 10. We started with 10 days rock climbing, um, a few days of snow school training. And then the backpacking part, there was, you know, there's a solo in there, two day solo and a high altitude attempt of a peak. And yeah, so, yeah. So, so Jesse, how many times did you do, did you do this? Cause I'm thinking for your participants, this was the trip of a lifetime. They would tell people forever. You won't believe I backpacked how many, what I did. And you, you did, you just did that again and again and again. 
so, How many so times technically I was, I was one of the directors and okay. I trained the staff to do this. So where my best fit was three weeks at a time training the staff. And I would do two of those a year, plus whatever week long courses were for, um, you know, for all women's or father and family or different uh, youth programs that would come. So I've easily spent oh, more, and this was just guiding, like that's not personal expeditions with high altitude climbing that I would do with my dad, but I've easily spent over a thousand nights on the ground. Wow. Easily. I have the body to prove it. My body keeps the score. It didn't read First Corinthians 13. That's <laughs> amazing. And then you did all this before you went to Harvard, right? For your master's. Yeah. So I uh, went again, the Lord just like, I, I have plans for my life and the Lord always has a different plan. And um, I felt literally led to go to apply for a program at Harvard when I was 30 and I got in and it um, it's called mind, brain and education. So it was an education degree, but it was neuroscience, cognitive psychology and learning environments. So the science of how the brain learns and changes. But was it really interesting about that is that I had been applying research to practice to the work that we did at the discipleship um, school for over a decade, because for me, I wanted to have one conversation with somebody and have it change their eternity. So I wanted to know how to have those catalytic conversations. I wanted to know how to teach them how to self to self arrest and stop with an ice axe once and have them remember it two weeks later at the moment that their life depended on it. So I became very interested in how the brain learned and had been reading a lot and applying that. And we actually built a model of framework of how the brain changes and how to teach based on biology um, at the at the wilderness program. So I take that to Harvard thinking that they're going to fix it. And they're like, you're applying research to practice. We're still debating that. So I've actually published that academically, uh, presented at Harvard a few times in that program. This this model that was how the Lord taught us. I, I mean, really, it's Bible and biology showed us how to teach people for transformation. So just kind of wow. backwards. So um, I think this all ties in with, you know, the book you wrote, Ordinary Discipleship. Um, how did, why did you decide to write the book? Um, I was asked to write the book, but I have this passion that most, you know, having spent 10 years in the wilderness teaching thousands of people to be disciple makers. And then I end up in my thirties in denominational leadership and teaching pastors and realizing that the that they don't know how to teach people how to be disciple makers. So there's books out there on discipleship that either look like spiritual disciplines or systematic theology. And there's some books on how to be a mentor, how to be a disciple maker, but they're written to leadership. So it's, here's how I run my small group and here's how I run my house church, or here's how I um, you know, lead a process from a position of organizational leadership. But there's nothing out there on how to be a disciple maker written to the everyday person, follower of Jesus, that looks at the relational dynamic between the disciple and the um, person being discipled. So I wanted, there was just a huge gap and I had been doing it for a long time. So I'm like, okay, let's get this, let's get this out there into the world. Jesse, I'm really fascinated by this neuroscience angle that you're talking about that you were, you were developing before you went to Harvard, it sounds like. You really had the kind of experience in the field and took it there instead of learning it there. 
uh, from them. But tell me about that, because uh, the way you described it was really interesting a moment ago, look, understanding how the brain works, how the brain processes information, learns things, and applying that to discipleship. And I think that's a big part of what the book's about. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are easy ways to change the brain and hard ways. And unfortunately, a lot of our discipleship methods use the hard way, which is where I memorize something and I'm going to think about something really hard. And it's kind of a top-down method. And it was a really, really high forgetting rate. Like, you're not going to remember it tomorrow, most of it, like 95%. And it's all going to be gone by the weekend. Like, barely any of it slash none of it lasts to, to a week. Okay, so that means that we can waste a lot of time. And the brain is just going to dump it. And it's not going to ask you your permission about that. It's just like, ah, eh, never mind. But there's a different way. We have a a, a type of long-term memory called autobiographical memory. And this is the memory of our story and it's a memory of our identity and it's interconnected with our body and, and our whole body remembers our story. And if we teach discipleship to that, if we learn how to be a disciple there, then our brain automatically hangs on to it. It automatically transforms us. Like, like that doesn't have to be work. That just happens from the inside out because that's how God created us to transform. And also fascinatingly, the the type of data fact memory system can't project into the future. It can't apply it to your life, but autobiographical memory automatically applies to your life because the way you remember your past is the way you think about your future. So if we learn in that memory system, not only does it automatically change our story, change our identity, but we also automatically apply it to our future. And so we can live out the obedience that we're learning. We do it the hard way, the school way, um, it's nothing really changes us. And in fact, it may even like inoculate us. Yeah. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm probably guilty of doing that, doing it the school way. Um, you know, in, uh, the 26 years I've been in full-time ministry, um, a lot of scripture memory, which, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it can be effective. Um, but I, I really am interested in what you're saying. Can you give us some real life examples? Like, um, you can, you don't have to share people's names if you, unless you're, you know, you can make up their name or whatever, but tell us, tell us some, some real life examples of what you're talking about here. Sure. So it, it really has to do with the order. So memorization of scripture isn't bad, but it has to be within the context of the lesson God is walking us through. So I've discipled life on life, a number of people. I have about three I have at any one time. And so one person I was disciple discipling um, was facing the decision about whether or not to take a job. And we walked through that, but, you know, was it a fear decision? Was it a faith decision and kind of unpacking their how they were feeling about it and why they would choose to, to do that or not do it. And so they, at the end of our conversation, they weren't sure, but I could point them to some scripture to go to, to kind of read, to help them further discern, is that a fear choice or a faith choice? So, so the scripture and the disciplines come in to service of the lesson and trying to um, trying to lean into the lesson that God is teaching them. So it's, it's about the order. It's not about, we don't need we don't need those types of learning. They just have to be connected to something that we're walking through, and then they make all the sense in the world, and they're extremely impactful. Are you talking about like? Um, it sounds like you're almost like you're speaking into a crisis or a uh, 
a trial that somebody's going to, and you're just bringing the truth of the scripture to, into that trial at the right time so that they will never forget. Um, and I and, and I think we can all have that experience where certain verses of scripture, somebody just spoke to us at the at a moment of trial um, that just stick with us. Um, you know, I, I one of my favorite verses is, I have a lot of favorite verses, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And it, God brings that scripture uh, to me a lot of times at one of those crisis points. So it, is is that part of what you're talking about? Is like you walk with people life to life. And then because all of us are either in a trial or we're coming out of a trial or we're going to get ready to go into another trial. You know, yeah, I think God is faithful that life presents enough curriculum. And if yes. we and if it's not, maybe that means we get to sit in the cool grass by the still water and have a minute. And I don't want to steal that away from them. They don't they come so rarely. Let's take a pause if God's given us a pause. And so when you do the when you were doing you started out with this outdoor experience stuff, and that's that's a perfect example of like taking people out of their comfort zone and um you're you're almost putting them for into a trial <laughs> into a trial. I mean, let's face it, like, where am I going to go to the bathroom? Where, how does this, you know, uh, when are we eating next? You know, how are we going to yes. get up this hill? I mean, you're, I, I imagine that that's part of the reason why people were so, this was so transformational because uh, you're you're pushing the limits of, of people. Um, so do you have any other examples that, that you'd like to share that come to mind? Um, you know, one with the one of the individuals, um, and this is a story I tell in the book, she came um, as an instructor for the wilderness ministry and then felt like she was supposed to come on staff. And um, and as you as you experience that, like the the ability to live with one another and seeing one another um, and experiencing that much of one another things start to uh, be revealed. Right. So it takes about 12 to 18 months for the the honeymoon, not just the honeymoon, but like to begin to see some of the core issues in another person's life. And so um, this is the story of Cynthia in the book. And she she got to this point where she was really struggling and, and we finally had permission to because we waited for the Lord's timing, right? God's eyes, God's heart, God's tone, God's timing are all important and they have to come together to say something because otherwise you're just out of his will. Um, so those all merged about 12 months in and kind of confronted her on some of her selfish behavior. And she's she's a 30-year-old woman. She's an adult. And she had lived her life. And nobody had really seen enough of her life that up close to be able to talk to her about this and cared enough about her to like hold space with her till it was time to say something. And, you know, we kind of had one of those uncomfortable conversations um, about her selfishness. And she took a minute, she took a day to think about it. And that's appropriate. 50% of the people don't come back after that hard conversation. They're like, tap out. But 50% of them lean into the moment and the community that's provided and says, yeah, I'll let God recreate me here and, and redeem my heart in this space. And so she spent the next week apologizing face-to-face -to, -face to different people that, that God had showed her that she had been selfish towards. So she kind of did that over the next week super painful for her, right? Super emotional, 
super redemptive. I mean, repentance is a miracle. Even in the brain, repentance is a miracle. And then she spent about um, 12, 18 months walking out that journey with the community helping her live into the new self, right? Because we can be redeemed, but what does it mean to re- to change our habits and, and, and repair with people? So she comes out of that over the next 12 to 18 months. And then and then the, her season there was over and the Lord moved her to, to a different job in wonderful celebration. So that's kind of the longer journey of what it's like to, to walk with someone through a season, but you gotta, you gotta spend long enough to get to the real deep thing that God is trying to do. And I think sometimes we can have shallow experiences, people, because we're stuck in curriculum and we're following that. And maybe we miss the deeper, harder thing that God wants to redeem in each other's life. So it's just a little personal opinion there. So one of the things you uh, talk about is discipleship is an adventure. And I really like that because so often discipleship is a program, right? It's, it's you know, a six-week discipleship program or a 12-week discipleship program or a two-year discipleship program. But uh, I like the idea of discipleship as an adventure. Can you just, you know, talk more about that and i think that's you're you're already talking about it but uh anything else you want to add to just that that concept yeah i think just trying to change the life of being a disciple from something that looks like school i mean most people don't like school i like school but i have like everybody else around me doesn't like school so if disciple being a disciple looks like that then we're missing 80% cuz statistically only about 20% of people do well in school. So, you know, I, I think an adventure captures the heartbeat of God in there. Um, I think he wants us to celebrate it. It's not, it's not supposed to look like a painful duty, not that there aren't times for faithfulness and discipline, but we should understand that there's a prize. There's an adventure. There's, um, there's a reason for all of that. And it's not to prove that we love Jesus enough by, you know, walking through the painful stuff. It's, to experience him in radical, amazing ways. So I think it just helps recapture not only what it's like, but what we could get out of it. So, so Jesse, I'm just uh, impressed listening to you. Just uh, It sounds like so much of what you're doing is trying to make scripture and scriptural biblical principles really relevant in people's lives. So they're not just like book learning, like some of you, like you just talked about people who do really well in school, 20% of people like that kind of thing, but but for everybody, for the ordinary person to make it really touch down and be super relevant for their life in the story of their life. And then one of the things in your book that you talk about is the hero's journey. And I think our, our listeners may not be familiar with that whole concept at all. Maybe you could introduce the concept because that's been out there for a while, but what the hero's journey is, and then talk about how you work that into your book. Yeah. Um, I love the hero's journey. So in my personal, you know, passion of trying to help how people change and grow, I became very interested in not what's different from person to person, but what's the same from person to person? Like what are the universals? Because I needed somewhere to start. Sure. (laughs) So, right. So one of those universals is actually the hero's journey. So the hero's journey is this storyline that exists in every culture within humanity across the planet. So it it's it's not an American thing or a North American thing. It's it's in every culture. OK, so that's fascinating just by itself. Um, but the story uh, pattern was identified 
by a guy named Joseph Campbell in 1950. And it's, it's the pattern of the epic adventure. So most movies, if not all movies, follow this now. Um, started in the 90s when Disney reinvented itself. So you have an ordinary person, they're called to an adventure, they reject the call, but then circumstances move them to accept the call, like who knows what circumstance, right? You can fill in any type of link here. Then they have a mentor, they end have friends and allies, and they kind of like learn how to do things with these with, they fr with their friends. They learn new things and there are little trials and little spats and you know, you're kind of building tension through these different mini adventures. And then you get to like the big trial. And in order for this per this normal person to um, go through the big trial, like something about them has to change. They have to realize something, have an aha moment. You know, it's an abyss or it's like teamwork, all different ways that that they could have their massive aha moment. And they do. And then there's like this reward prize, you know, some sort of like a thing that made it worth it. And then they go back home and they're no longer an ordinary person, they're a hero because they've been on the hero's journey. And I love that they go back home and they are changed, but circumstance, you know, but where they came from isn't. And I love that that usually sets up the sequel, right? So now are they going to be the hero <laughs> the back home? The sequel yeah, that yeah. never does as well as the original. <laughs> the empire has Skip to strike that. Go to three, go to the right. third. So that's the hero's journey. And um, in the wilderness with the with the people that we would take on this adventure, we would tell them the hero's journey about it the very beginning, before we left out for the wilderness. And we would like would we would do this exercise. I map out the hero's journey of the Israelites. Map out the hero's journey of Jesus. Map out the hero's journey of Peter. So that they could see that there's this pattern, that that it's a pattern that God created. And I believe he put it in our hearts that we recognize it because it is the outline and the map of the journey of discipleship so that we can always know the way, even if we don't know what we're doing. Hmm. So it resonates in our soul on purpose. So I use the hero's journey as the outline of the book to help a disciple maker know the journey that they're mentoring and taking the disciple on as a guide. Well, that's fascinating. So you use that hero's journey in the uh, wilderness uh, ministry you were doing before so, so that people could see, understand what it is. And you didn't do it at the end to say, aha, you've just been on the wilderness journey. Does it surprise somehow? You set it up up front so they would have that as the paradigm through which they saw the entire adventure experience and could see their life through those through those eyes. And um, so- Even it, it language like, to process it. Yeah, right. Okay. And it sounds like you've seen your, have you seen your own life through that, that lens as well? Yeah, I, I see multiple cycles. Yeah, okay. multiple cycles. Each season has its own hero's journey. Each season has its aha moment of what I think God is trying to recreate in me and redeem in me. Um, so the, that's kind of what I track. Not okay. not the you can track the little things, but I kind of look at it as bigger bigger storylines. So, so where are you in at in your hero's so, journey? Where are you at in your hero's journey now? Which in now? this cycle? In this cycle. I just answered the call to a new adventure. Wow. So you're I'm the having beginning friends of a new and one. teammates and I don't know what my lesson is. Hey, that's a that's a good place to be though. You're you know. 
that is pretty cool, especially because you've experienced God's faithfulness in the past, right? As you've kind of gone through the process. So I think the book parallels your the mission of the organization that maybe you're talking about. Is is this what you're talking about? The your organization, Whoology. Maybe tell tell our listeners about that and um, how it connects with the book. And yeah, yeah. So um, due to unfortunate circumstances in 2020. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else had unfortunate circumstances in 2020. 2020 was a um, great year. No, you know, actually, I think it's going to be like a swear word. We're going to say that's a 2020, <laughs> you know. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Um, I, you know, found myself at the bottom of myself, which is not the first time in my life, but it probably won't be the last. But in any of those moments, I asked the Lord, uh, language can vary, but what are you doing and what do you want from me? And um, I felt led to take the the book that I was writing and make it more accessible. Not not the not the book more accessible, but like like build something around that. So I just started doing that. I found somebody to help coach me on how to do some marketing stuff because I don't know. And she ended up being my business partner and we started Whoology together. So using, using the things that I have taught uh, both regular people and pastors and cause I coach churches and denominations on the side and um, yeah, just putting that out there so that it was accessible. So, okay, so let's, let's just talk about the name Whoology. How'd you come up yeah. with that? So I want, I think, I think it's good that things ask a question and I want the question to be who, who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? And so when, so that, you know, that motivates you, who, who are you discipling? And um, yeah, so the ology, cause I'm a nerd scientist and ology is part of every nerd scientist word. Awesome. And for listeners, because this is audio only, who is W-H-O-ology, not H-O-O-ology, just so everyone gets that straight. That's true. And, no owls in this company. That's right. No owls. So it's uh, something someone Googles whoology, they can find your website? Yeah. Just remember to keep both O's. So it's W-H-O-O-L-O-G-Y dot C-O. Great. Got it. That's cool. Awesome. And you also have a website for the book, right? Is it ordinarydiscipleship.com? Yes. I would encourage our listeners to uh, check out that website, both websites, because you, you have some good information there. You can download the first chapter of Jesse's book. So let's just go back to some practical things. You know, how should discipleship impact our daily lives? I mean, if, I think in the same way that like breathing and eating impacts our daily like it should just be part of what that is you know if we believe that god is good which is a really big question i think for a lot of people and we believe that he wants to lead us somewhere good then leaning into what is he saying to us where is he taking us um and how do we connect with people on that journey because it's not supposed to be a solo journey discipleship is a group assignment it, and disciple making is a community project so I'm always looking, you know, who am I? Is there someone I'm supposed to be discipling? Who's discipling and pouring into me? How am I connected in a community of faith? So that if there's a question I don't know the answer to, maybe there's somebody else in my community that does. And I can be like, oh, 
you know what? I have no idea, but you know who does or who might have some wisdom there, you know, is this other person so that we can just do it together. And it's, I think it's, it's as easy as being friends and as much as going, you know, allowing people to your life and the the pain and the struggle that that kind of vulnerability requires of us, but it makes us better. And I think that's the prize on this side of eternity. What do what do you what are your thoughts on just the state of discipleship in the church in general? Like, let's just say the church in America, and we're not calling out any particular denomination or anything, but just do you, you know what are, what are your thoughts on? Because you know the word discipleship is it's used in almost every church, right? But it seems like uh, I don't know that I'm observing much disciple making, uh, effective disciple making happening. It's like we we love the term, but I'm not sure lives are being changed the way that God intends. Yeah, I, you know, we have some theology ruts there. You know, there are specific theologies that limit it to teaching, and there are some specific theologies that even reduce that to sermons and and preaching. And so um, it it just has been about 1700 years of continuing to move the bar so that only a few select trained good speakers who run organizations are who are qualified to be disciple makers i don't think that that's meant to be intentional it's but it, that's the if you ask the person in the pew what what it means to be a disciple maker who's qualified that's the answer that they're going to give you so it's somewhere we've kind of ended up by accident um because we haven't been brave enough to trust the Holy Spirit to use each of us and to use the uneducated, unpolished, maybe don't have their life all together person um, to be a disciple maker. And, and so for having taught people to be disciple makers, and these were ordinary people, these weren't clergy um, for a long time. And then coming into denominational ministry, working with pastors, seeing the gap, I was actually quite shocked and it kind of hurt my heart. So I spent about a decade trying to coach pastors on how to be disciple makers and release disciple makers. And I was pretty frustrated by the conversation about 2019. We're having a very different conversation now, though. Um, People are hungry for it. They see it. They see the difference these days. And so maybe it's just time for the body of Christ to have this conversation. So maybe, Greg, at this point, since you're on staff with a group called The Navigators and Jesse, your book's being published by Nav Press, which I don't think is officially associated with The Navigators or maybe have a, they're two separate organizations, I suppose. But uh, uh, Greg, maybe just talk about disciple making and kind of in Jesse's terms with the uh, among lay people, because I think, Jesse, you're really, really on to something here. And, and, and Greg, just to set up a question for you, maybe a little further, there has been this huge historic distinction of first-class citizens and second-class citizens throughout church history between the professional Christians and the lay people. And there have been attempts in church history to kind of say, no, that's not God's design. That's not what God intended to kind of say, God has called all of us into this ministry. You know, he wants everyone to do the work of an evangelist. So there's some people are maybe called to be an evangelist, but everyone does the work of an evangelist. And now, Greg, in your life, you've been involved in a lifetime of disciple making as well. So just take a second, maybe talk about your work, the navigators, and it's called it's mission-driven kind of disciple-making uh, uh, thoughts as well. Because I think it's very much aligned with Jesse's book. Oh, it definitely is, and I really appreciate Jesse that you're that you wrote this book because I think it's 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 necessary, it's needed. Because um, one of my favorite verses, by the way, of discipleship is 
I mean, there's a lot of them, um, but Acts 4.13, where it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Like that is what discipleship is all about, being with Jesus. And and I love that, I love that, you know, unschooled ordinary men, when we think about the the 12 disciples and you think about what a hodgepodge group they were and how they were just fishermen, like they were, they weren't anything special. They weren't professionals. They weren't professional ministers. In fact, you know, the, yeah. And, but yet how God used them, um, you know, in, in these, in, in major ways and, um, so, um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just resonate a lot with what Jesse is, is saying, because I do think one of the sad things that's happened in the American church is we've left it to the professionals to do the work of the ministry. And somehow, because we're entrepreneurial society, we feel like if they're, if they're the professionals, then they need to be the ones who are, who are doing it. And so, I don't think most pastors really want it that way, but they kind of just fall into, well, you know, I am getting paid to do this, you know, so um, I guess, you know, um, it's it's a really tricky thing, but um, the bottom line is we're all called to make disciples, you know, and I mean, Jesus, the last, the most, one of the most important things he said is uh, go make disciples of all nations. And, uh, I'm fortunate to be in a position where I'm able to do that, to work with students from, from uh, all around the world and, and uh, invest in them. And I love the fact that most of them are not going to be professional ministers. They're going to be the architects. They're going to be, you know, nurses. And, and I want to help them make disciples in their context. And so, and I think, I think Jesse shares that, that, uh, that, that desire um, Jesse, let's talk about like how do you hope this book will impact its readers? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think that what I found in in the last 10 years is that most pastors do want to make disciples, but they only know how to train them the way that they've been trained. And so that's why I think a lot of the books look like seminary light. They don't know how to talk to the everyday person in a way that they can understand and, and then help them be equipped from day one um, and, and that that expectation is right-sized and they have the right kind of follow-up feedback, you know, accountability of also being a disciple, not just a disciple maker. And so my hope is that this book helps pastors equip their congregations and it helps all those that don't necessarily know what their church home is right now. Um, be inspired to go find faith communities to do this with because the solo disciple maker is not, is not really the the best option there. So, so I hope that it, it brings, you know, people together who need, who need that team to go on that adventure with. And I hope it equips the churches that we have, um, you know, activate and, and, and help their people find a way that they can participate more. Cause I do think that's everyone's desire. It's just, just needed a bridge. Uh, thanks for that, Jesse. And I, I'm looking here at a, a quote from your book. I think it's a quote from your book. And I just want to read it to you and get your reaction because it, it it sounds really interesting. You, you say, our words need to reflect not only God's will, but also God's heart and God's tone. And they need to be said in God's timing. What did you mean by that? 
That's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that is a quote from my book. I mean, part of helping somebody know how to be a disciple maker is helping them hear the Lord, you know, in relationship with another person. And that means that if, if you're taking on that, that heart for the person, then you're going to end up seeing things, but you can't just necessarily jump in. And this is, this is like based on mistakes I've made. I definitely said something immediately, thought it was my job to fix people, thought I was being a bad disciple maker if I didn't. Like, oh, I'm not telling them the truth if I don't tell them everything I see right now. And I definitely hurt people. I definitely created my own damage in in people. And my mentor, you know, would ask me, well, is God confirming that in them? Like, is God showing them that right now? And if the answer was no, then his challenge to me was, well, then why are you bringing it up? Because it's not God's time. And so that taught me the timing. So that, so the ability to see what, what God's doing, the heart to love them well. So I'm not fixing them. I'm trying to help them towards redemption and freedom and freedom in God's terms, not fix. So we're really, our, our, we get really slimy about that. And so then God's timing and then the last one was God's tone, because sometimes people need it to be really gentle. And sometimes like some people need just something a little sharp. And I don't mean sharp, like painful, but like, like blunt. Some people need a prophetic voice to say, hey, what are you doing right now? And some people need, and and to, to some degree, we all need those different voices at different times. So making sure you have all of those together. So you can be in God's will, then it's time to say something and you know that you're in the space of grace and you're moving in concert with the Holy Spirit in their life. So just, I don't know if you deal with this in your book in this way, but as you're saying these words, I could I could hear how you might want to say, understand the person that you're discipling, understand from really listening to them where they are in their hero's journey. And so you're adapting your message, your advice, the, the things you want to you want to impart is so much truth to them, right? You want to teach them so many things, right? But you say, this is where they are in their hero's journey. They're not ready for that yet. They're going to get there in a couple more stages, but right now that's not that's not the right time yet. I don't know if that's something that concept you'd pull out and tease out in your book, but it sounds like it, it would really uh, work that yeah, way definitely. in your narrative. Definitely unpack that and even give some tools. Um, because the main challenge of being a disciple maker is the waiting. So mm. if it's the disciple, their hardest thing to face in their hero's journey is the aha moment of that thing that God wants to change in their heart. The disciple maker's hero journey, the hardest part is holding space until it's time. Yeah. And I just think about how much God sees and how little he says. And if I'm going to be with him where he is and disciple people the way Jesus would, that means I got to be able to hold a lot and love them well. And that's why I also have to be being discipled because I need somebody to help me not sure. behave badly and, and walk through that in my own pain or struggle. So. That's awesome. Have you, uh, have you had pretty good success? I mean, you've been doing this for, for many, many years and, um, and I feel like, and I think you probably feel this way too, like I'm constantly learning, right? I mean, one of the things that's dangerous is when you feel like you know how to do, how to perfectly disciple somebody, because I think it's impossible to know that because every person is so different and every person needs to be, you know, we, we talk about discipleship is relational. 
it's individual and it's, it's intentional, you know, um, it has to be tailored to the individual. That's the problem with programs is you can't just, you can't just cookie cutter and make disciples, but have you, have you had success in, because to me, like, I don't feel like I'm successful in disciple making until the person I'm discipling start begins discipling others. Have you had, have you seen a good success in that? Yeah, I can count um, about four generations down from people that I've discipled in the wilderness ministry. So, so in some of the, in the group environment, um, as well as individuals that I've discipled. So, and then, I mean, but I can also track like three generations above me. So, and I, and I do actually kind of lay out, lay out a, an example of that in the book of, you know, here's a, here's the generations um, they have, they can actually happen quite quickly. Um, yeah. As we each embrace it's like a family the tree. It's, it's sort of like a family tree, you know, the, the, the generations and, and that's where it gets real exciting. Um, when you start seeing those generations, because prob- part of the issue I see with, you know, again, the American church in general is that discipleship ends with one generation. And so it's like they went through a program. So they've been, you know, they've been discipled. But to me, it's like it's not really disciple making unless it's generate unless there's generations happening. And so I think that's a key component. Do you write about that in the book or is that like for a future book? Is that for part two? No, that's the last chapter. The last chapter is on discerning the seasons and how it ends. And I'm just kind of redefining spiritual maturity based on my plant background, being that a piece of fruit is not considered mature until its seed is viable. Like, so if I'm discipling somebody, they're not mature for whatever that season is until they're able to teach that same lesson to somebody else that they just walked through. So until they can create viable spiritual offspring around that lesson, they haven't actually come all the way through it. So, yeah, so talking about, and then I am building out some stuff on spiritual maturity. Um, I define that developmentally, not by age. I define that by redemption and sanctification. Yeah. So, by the way, we should, we should, um, we should ask you, you know, you mentioned, uh, I mean, you're not against spiritual disciplines, are you? No, no, not at all. You're just, your, your point is that we learn those in the classroom and we forget them. But if we learn them through, through life you know at critical points then we actually will stick with them and they'll actually change us from the inside out um i only have a couple more questions for you to to wrap this up i don't know jim if you have any but um so one of the questions i want to ask you is like what are some of your favorite um either examples in scripture of discipleship or um passages of scripture um about discipleship at um Moses and Joshua uh, uh, quite a bit there's a there's some that's said and then there's a lot that's inferred there's a lot that that isn't said that's kind of fascinating to me I'm fascinated by what God does but I'm also more fascinated by what God doesn't do and and how he restrains himself and and withholds and and so what does he allow to take place and and that kind of thing so I think about I think about Moses and, and Joshua quite a bit because there's a good generational handoff there. Um, you know what? It's I funny that of- you mentioned that because I was actually thinking about asking you when back earlier 
if you would uh, tell us if you could, because uh, I'm actually going to be teaching on the whole book of Joshua in a couple of weeks at a men's Bible study. So I'm doing a lot of research on Joshua and Joshua is an amazing character in the Bible. You don't see any evidence of sin, but I'm sure he was sinful. Um, he's just one of those guys like Daniel, you know, that was special, but definitely the relationship Moses pa passing the baton to him is definitely an example of disciple making. But I was going to ask you to, uh, the, those, the hero's journey, could you, could you map out the hero's journey in Joshua's life? Um, but I think one of the, one of the mistakes that, that we see with Joshua and it's, 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 it's almost like a sin of omission is it doesn't seem like he passed it on. That's the thing that, that, that blows my mind. Moses invested in him and passed the baton to him. Why didn't he pass it on to, because to, then we fall into judges, you know, and the whole cycle of everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't know if you, if you've thought about that at all. Yeah. It's the difference between making a disciple and making a disciple maker. Mm. And and those are just different. And I think we have churches that disciple, but they don't make disciple makers. Like you said, so it, that's why we end up with a lot of one generation. You know, I think about how much of Moses's good, bad and ugly that Joshua got to see. He was actually with him in all of his encounters there with the with with God, with Yahweh. Like, that's freaking crazy. And, you know, he saw Moses when he was angry, he saw Moses when he was glowing from the presence of the Lord that nobody could look at him. And, and Moses didn't hide his life from, from Joshua. Um, and Joshua observed a lot of that, but he also didn't had so much time that he was following Moses that he, he didn't put it into practice. Like he was already leading on the other side of, um, of the river by the time, you know, he's in, he's in charge, he's leading, but he's not doing the same thing. He's not bringing, he's leading the whole organization instead of also having that apprentice, um, person beside of him. So, um, I know, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I look at that, his, it might be a bit to outline his, his hero's journey. Cause I think he's got a couple there there's, there's one pre Mount Sinai. And I think there's, there's another one in the wilderness and then another, um, when he's finally, uh, leading Israel, um, through, through the promised land. So a few different cycles, but yeah. Is that something you enjoy doing is like going, looking at characters in the Bible and doing their hero's journey? Um, no, actually, no, only to the extent that it helps people see. I really like Hebrews, um, that Hebrews 1139, though, the best, which says that uh, it goes after the Faith Hall of Fame. And it says that all of them never saw everything that was accomplished until because we we had to do our part. Look, there's Jesse's paraphrase, and it's a blend of the NLT and the NIV. And my editor hates that, but it's the way it goes. So what that tells me is that the hero's journey, like Moses's hero's journey, not only needed Joshua's, but it also needs ours, right? David's hero's journey isn't complete until I add my link to the chain. Because, because they don't get to see the hole that was promised until I add my part. And I don't get to see the hole that's promised until the people I disciple add their part. And the people they disciple add their part. And so it's like this big cosmic link of discipling that that puts us all together. So my assignment is based on whether or not three or four or 10 generations also walk out theirs. Jesse, that is beautiful. And that is really profound. And I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before. I mean, that is 
you could use different metaphors. You could say God's weaving a tapestry. God's planting a garden. You could use a lot of different metaphors to talk about it. But the idea that that story involves all of us is Jesus building his church, right? I mean, it's every 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 break, every one of us a piece of that and part of that to complete the story. But that was that was that's really well put. I hope that's in the book. It is <laughs> great. No. That's great. Well, I think, you know, our time is about up. Um, so I just, you know, a couple last questions for you, Jesse. How can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to learn about what you're doing? Or we mentioned the the websites. You you may want to mention them again. Yeah. So um, the the bigger the bigger ministry that has not only disciple ordinary discipleship, but we're, we've also got ordinary community to help train church teams um, how to be disciple making communities. And so that they're spiritually deep, authentically brave. They embrace together the trials as a group, which you now you got group dynamics. And so that's why you got to have a different, a different class. So that's a cohort to, to coach. Um, so there's ordinary community there. Um, got a podcast coming out on maturity and, and how do we faithfully deconstruct so that we can uh, go through challenges and ask questions without losing our faith. And then the Ordinary Discipleship um, book is part of that. And if you go to OrdinaryDisciple.com, you can pre-order the book. And if you do that and then fill out the form, you can get the online class that accompanies the book for free for a year. The individual one, I can't give the church group one away for free. That won't pay my staff, but you can get the individual one for free for a year. Um, or you can join the book club to be part of the, the team that helps get the word out. Um, read the get the book early, get some prizes. I got some prizes to give away, including a $50 REI card. Um, because you know, you need swag for your adventure. And um, yeah, so you can find that there. So the website is whoology, W-H-O-O-L-O-G-Y dot C O. And that's how you can track me down, get a hold of me, find out what's going on. Excellent. Oh, and I have webs, I have an Insta Instagram and Twitter. And that is your brain by Jess on both Instagram and Twitter. Your brain by Jess. Your so. brain by Jess. Interesting. That is, uh, yeah. So it's ordinarydiscipleship.com. No, dot com. Oh, yeah, dot com. What's that? No, you're right. Ordinarydiscipleship.com. Whoology.co. .co. .co. Um, Jim, did you want to say something real quick? Yeah. When When is the book going to be available? book comes out May 9th, but you can, you can pre-order it, get that first chapter right now. The book club launches um, sometime next month. I, I'm sorry. I don't know the date. My brain gets tired, <laughs> but um, no you get a, in that one, you get the, an actual pre-release copy physically of the book. So okay. if you want to get it early, that's the way to go. Okay, so that's the way to go. Go to your website, get connected in, in, in those ways. Uh, is it also going to be available at other places like Amazon or Christian bookstores? Yeah, yeah. Those you can pre-order all right now. Okay, wonderful. Excellent. My last question for you, Jesse, is are you a gospel addict? Oh, yeah. If there's not, if it's not good news, run the other way. That's That's definitely a mantra I have. So, man, I'm all, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I'm Jesse Crickshank, and I am a gospel addict. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember, 
On your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.